So, Parshat Bishalach. Um, I want to share with you a, um, a really difficult story. Last week on Wednesday night was the Yortzeit of Yosef Goodman. I believe I mentioned him to you. Yosef Goodman was um, in an elite parachute, paratrooper unit called Maglan. Um, the stories about him are legendary. He was an athlete. He was... He thrived in the army. There's some guys that go into the army, what we call moral. They just, they live it, they breathe it. They finally feel they can, you know, contribute. There's a Gemara that says, Libriot, there's a Gemara that says, Rabbi Akiva finally understood at the end of his life, he died a difficult death. I think sometimes there are guys in the Israeli army who finally get to sort of experience what it means, with everything you have to give. And he was one of those guys. Um, he was a Magist. He was a, carried the heavy uh, negavist, actually, heavy machine gun. And um, he, he felt that if he was going to be the heavy machine gunner, which is probably the most critical piece in the event of, you know, certain types of hitakliot, of uh, missions and ambushes and, and firefights and whatever, that he was going to do it to the best of his ability. So he would go over time to the firing ranges and practice on the mikla and whatever it was, Right. And um, he perfected the art because one of the difficulties of the heavy machine gun is you know you're carrying it and then you know nitkaltem all of a sudden you're fired at or something everybody hits the ground but you're carrying a heavy machine gun so usually that guy's to get on his knees get down whatever figure out where it takes a second he perfected the art of being able to hit the ground with a machine gun a heavy machine gun and then he perfected the art of jumping to the ground with the machine gun in one hand and being able to fight he practices at the firing range. Now, I never ever saw anybody who was able to do this. I heard about this from the guys in his unit, and his father told me about this. He would take a dive, fire at the target with a heavy machine gun. You understand the recoil from a heavy machine gun is massive, and he would hit the target. And this became such a legend. People, officers came to watch him do this, and this, this act became known as a goodman. To this day in Maglan, people try to practice doing a goodman. It became known as his, that was the type of soldier he was. Anyway, they were doing an experiment. They were testing out some experimental parachutes, really more like hang gliders. Um, and something went terribly wrong. They jumped out of the plane. Um, the, the officer who was his commanding officer um, sort of jumped after him. He was, I think, the second out, and his officer was the third. And he, his feet banged into uh, Goodman's parachute. Um, the reserve parachutes didn't do what they were supposed to do because of one being on top of the other. Um, and um, the two of them, sort of now connected, started to spiral out of control. And they were at a very low altitude of like 1,100 meters. And um, according to the tahkir afterwards, uh, they had about uh, seven or eight seconds with which to do something before it would be too late and they would both die. And um, Goodman realized that the only way to solve this problem so the least his commander would live was to cut the lines. Of course, if he cuts the lines, he's cutting his parachute, he's going to fall to his death. And you only have seven or eight seconds to make a decision like that, right? And every paratrooper, every commando worth his salt has a knife that's reachable for obvious reasons. He pulls out his commando knife. His commanding officer sees what he's about to do and is screaming at him like, don't do it, don't do it. We're going to get out of this, don't do it. Goodman doesn't listen to him, cuts the ropes, which is why the commander survived, and of course, Goodman fell to his death. Um, this happened in 2006, 
I remember the exact date it happened because it was the Thursday. It was the Erev of my son's bar mitzvah. My son's bar mitzvah was supposed to be that Shabbos. Um, we were, you know, sort of busy preparing and getting stuff together and whatever. And then we heard this terrible news. And so the next morning we all went to the Levaya. All of Efrat packed into the, I mean, we couldn't even all fit in the shul. We heard it on microphones. Uh, this commander obviously came and eulogized Yosef. Very, very difficult day. And then we all had to go celebrate our mitzvah. Not an easy evening. About, uh, I don't know, a few years ago, they finally released the video of this event because, you know, they were testing out experimental parachutes and so they were taping them to see how they worked. And once eventually the statute of limitations, you know, passed and it was no longer secret and they could share it and they shared it with the family. And that year I gave a shear in his memory and they shared this video. It's a very hard video to watch. Um, but it makes it clear how incredible it was what he did. And by the way, if anybody wants to see this, you can send me a WhatsApp, I'll send it to you. But um, watched it again at the memorial last week. His parents wanted everybody to watch it again. And then I had to give a shear after watching that. Now, the thing that sticks in my mind is in order to make a decision like that, in order to be calm enough and collected enough, you're, you're flying around like this. You're dropping through the air at, at the speed of, you know, whatever, 900 meters a second, whatever it is. And somehow amidst all that, you succeed in making a decision. How do you do that? How does a person make a decision like that? How does the army train you, this is now opinion, to make decisions like that under stress when you don't have time to think about it? So I want you to put that question in the back of your head. And let's talk about Parashat Pesach. This is one of the strangest Parashat in the Torah. There is one detail in this uh, uh, parsha or sidebar that I think is valuable. You know, one of the interesting questions about your Rebbe and his Likute Sichos very often brings this up. Um, if something's in a parsha, right, every parsha has a theme, okay? Parshat um, Re'e is all about seeing, how you see the world, how you see Hashem in the world, right? Um, parshat Balak, Vayar Balak, the word Vayar, to see, appears seven times, that whole parsha, how you see the world, Right? Um, Parshat Yitro, Vayishma Yitro Kohen Midian, the word Vayishma appears seven times in Parshat Yitro. There's a theme there. Parshat Peshalach has a number of events that don't seem to have anything to do with each other. And I want to see, in a very short amount of time, if we can put them together and connect them. All right? Now, in the Musr world, Parshat Peshalach always raises the question of Bitachon. It's really the opening shot of the parsha, right? When Paro sends the Jewish people out of Egypt, of course, that itself raises an interesting question: Who really took the Jewish people out of Egypt? Right. So why say Paro? But okay, right. So Paro sends them out. Hashem doesn't take them via the Philistine lands. Now, if you know your map. Right? And you think of Egypt to the south of Israel, the way it is today. And let's say this is Egypt, this is the Sinai Peninsula. And down here is Cairo, and down here is the Nile River. And the Jewish people are getting out of Egypt. Which way should they go if they're going to Eretz Israel? They should go due north. And if they go due north, they're going to come onto the coastline of Israel. Oh, look at that. Okay? No, you don't see Egypt here, but Shkayach. Okay? This is Egypt, thank you. Okay, this is Egypt, right? Egypt to where my fist is. Okay, they're going to come straight up here, and they're going to come up 
sort of through the Sinai, and they're going to get to the coast. Okay? They're going to get to the coast. And they're going to come to the Philistine cities of Ashkelon and Ashdod and Gat, right? Those are the Aza. Those are Philistine names, Philistine cities that we have till today. In fact, if you go to Ashkelon, there's an archaeological park there. You can see ruins that date back to Canaanite times, to the time of the Plishtim. So why doesn't Hashem take them away? That's the shortest way to go. Right? Why doesn't Hashem take them that way? It's closer, karovu. Because the people will see war. They're going to see the Philistine warlike entities. <coughs> and they're going to get scared. And they're going to want to go back to Egypt. Now there's an obvious question there. Right? What is this? No, no. These are the Plishtim. Okay? What's this? This is Yad Hashem. What's the problem here? What's the problem here? You just took the Jewish people out of Egypt. You just did 10 plagues. Do an 11th. Wipe out the Plishtim. What are they doing there? Why do we need this? Okay. So if you tell me, well, because we want the Jews to learn how to fight, right? Well, then why don't you take them to Derek Plishtim and teach them how to fight? Say, no, we're not ready for that. So what happens next? This incredible miracle, right? They get to the sea. Okay, we all know the story. The Egyptians are behind them. The sea is in front of them. The Medrash compares this to a mouse, which is trying to get away from the hawk behind it. It's trying to kill it. So it's burying into the crevice in the rock. And all of a sudden, there's a viper in the rock. There's a snake in front of it. There's a hawk behind it. It's trapped. Jewish people have this sea. And you know, if it's going to be a sea, so Chazal again, it's not just going to be like, you know, Lake Placid. It's going to be raging sea waves and crashing and cliffs and rocks and whatever else is going on there. And they don't know what to do. And then Akash Baruch says, Mati the Jewish people are terrified. Right? They're screaming out to Akash Baruch Like, you know, we're all going to die. Hashem says, Mati Tzakelai, what are you crying to me for? We talked about this once in this year. Talk to them, let them go. So Nachshon ben according to the Gemara, jumps into the water. The sea split. And they walk through in the sea, it becomes land. And they walk out the other side. Why do I need this? Like what? Akash Baruch Hu is showing off? Like 10 plagues isn't enough? Hashem says, like there's a hidden conversation there. says, oh yeah, watch this. Like what is that? Oh, what do we need this for? Okay, so let's say this happens, right? Aiden asked me this question tonight. Let's say this happens. So Jewish people get through it. They see the Egyptian army vanquished. So what should happen next? What should happen next? That's it. Vayaminu Bashem Moshe Avdo. They believe in Akash Baruch They believe in Moshe. Everything's good. Let's go to Israel. Oh, we got to get the Torah. Well, why don't you get the Torah in Israel? Well, okay. So let's go straight there. I'm not going to go straight there. Where does Hashem take them next? Mara. They go to Mara. Why is Mara called Mara? Because Mara means bitter. Why is Mara called Mara? Because the water is bitter. Right? So what does the Pasuk say? Um, right after Vayosha Hashem Vayomo Yitzhak Miyad Mitzrayim Hashem saved us from the Egyptians. Vayar Yisrael Mitzrayim 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 The Jewish people see the Egyptians dead on the sea. 
And then they have this whole song, right? They sing out. And finally, There's a whole Rashi Medrash why it appears Moshe has to force them to travel. Okay. They can't find any water. Now ask me an obvious question. Come on. Like, doesn't God have a plan? Like, what, you couldn't take them somewhere with water? They're spending three days looking for water? You did the ten plagues, you took them out of Egypt, you split the sea, and now you can't find water? And then finally, if I have Marata, they get to Mara. Now, how do they get to Mara? Anybody remember? How do they know where to go? There's a pillar of something. Smoke, fire, cloud, night, day. And they're following this. Kosh Baruch was taking them here. Kosh Baruch says, I got a good idea. Yeah. Let's have some fun. You don't have any water? Okay. Let's walk around for three days in the desert. I'm going to be really thirsty. Then we'll get to the water. Ha ha, the water's too bitter. You can't drink it. What is that about? Well, Hashem didn't know where the good water was? So, right? So, 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 sorry. So they complain. Manishtem, we're going to drink. It's a reasonable request. So he calls out to Hashem. Hashem says, oh, take this stick, take this tree, throw it in the water, the water will become sweet. What, you got to wait till the Jews are miserable before you do this? Imagine you're in the hospital. <coughs> you're in a lot of pain. And finally, you send someone to go get the doctor. Say, doctor, I had this operation, I'm in a lot of pain. The doctor says, oh, let me fix the needle. And he fixes the needle, all of a sudden you're not in pain. And you've been agonizing for a whole day. You know what you think? You don't think like, thank you, doctor, that's amazing. You think, where were you all day? Why am I suffering for a whole day? What is this about? Okay, the water's bitter, now the water's sweet. What happens next? Anybody remember? Episode number three. You go to Midbar Sin. And what happens in Midbasin? Right? Asher ben Elimu ben Sinai. By the way, they went to Elim and there were, you know, Tamarim there and there's plenty of sweet water there. Why Hashem didn't take them there, but okay. They come to Midbasin. <coughs> so now they complain again. Why are they complaining again? Because they don't have any food. Hashem has to be, I mean, he failed Boy Scout camp. He doesn't know where the water is. He doesn't know where the food is. We should have died in Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we had food. Who can blame them? <coughs> so Hashem says, No problem. I'm going to bring you bread from the sky. Now ask me an obvious question. Come on. Why? Why what? Okay, why don't you bring him to a place what, like where there's wheat growing? I don't know. Okay. Ask me another question, yeah? Why not start by giving them the bread? Yeah. Why do you have to wait for them to complain? <coughs> I got a great idea. Not supposed to have miracles that you don't need, so I got a great idea. You know that they were on a nekavod, they were clouds of glory. And one of the effects of the clouds of glory, which is a Pasuk and Varim, 
Their clothes never wore out. Anybody hear this before? This is not a medrash, this is mamash beferish in the Pasuk. It's fascinating. Right? So if you accept this literally at face value, their clothes never wore out, which makes sense. How do they have clothes? Fine. So why didn't Hashem just make matzah that never ended? Why don't you just have miracle matzah? You know, by the way, if they'd done that, then some company would have made miracle matzah that lasts forever would have been great. I'll let you in on a little secret. If you ever come to my Seder, we get hand shmura matzah for the Seder. And there's always some left over. And, you know, it's expensive. And I discovered one year by accident that if you leave the shmura matzah in a cupboard, it's dry, right? And you open it up a year later, guess what? It's good to eat. And I did this experiment to see if anybody would notice a difference. Nobody knows the difference. That's matzah. I'm telling you. You can eat matzah a year later. It's perfectly fine. I don't know how long it lasts, but it lasts a year. So if, it, so if my matzah could last a year, of course, probably could last 40 years. Why do I need the man? What is that about? Okay, so they get the man. I'm leaving aside the slav. They get man, they get meat, they get bread. Okay, fine. So we should be good now. They got water. They got man. We should be good. What happens next? Where do they go next? Where? Which place do they go to? They go to Rifidim, right? Which is the same words as Rafu Yadam. Their hands became weak, but whatever. What are they missing at Rifidim? Anybody know? Nobody knows? Wow, guys, you got to do it. Nope. Water. Water. They got no water. Right? Look what happens in Rifidim. They get to Rifidim. After the whole story of the man. The Ein Mayim Vayachanuba Rifidim is very good sign. There's no water to drink. I don't know about you, but if I had a commander who took me out in the field navigating, and the first place, right, we find out that the entire Syrian commander army is behind us and we're stuck against the water, I think, okay, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Let's say we get out of that. Then we find out, you know, we got to get water. So he takes us somewhere with bitter water. Then we go somewhere where there's no food. At a certain point, you got to say, okay, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Like, what is the Kosh doing here? Moshe, give us water. What are you arguing with me for? And why are you testing Hashem? What do you mean, why are you testing Hashem? Why is Hashem testing Jewish people? What is the point of this? And then they finally, now how do they get water? Everybody knows how they get water. How do they get water? Moshe has a great trick. Right? He goes, he hits the rock. Okay, now... So the bread comes in the sky, but not the water. The water's got to come from the rock. What's that about? Okay. So they do the hit the rock thing, which is going to be a problem one day, but fine, it's now. Now it's fine. But we're not done yet. Right? Now, now a is going to come. Remember why we didn't go up the coast to the Plishtim? Because the Jews are going to see war, and they're going to want to go back to Egypt. How does the Parsha end? They fight a war. So what's going on? What is this parsha about? What do these stories have in common? Okay? So let's, let's assume a basic principle. Let's assume that if the Torah tells me that Hashem takes the Jewish people to get bitter water, that was part of the plan. For some reason, the Jewish people need to get to a place where the water is bitter and they need to see it become sweet. For some reason, the Jewish people need to realize they have no food. 
and it's got to come from heaven. For some people, the Jew, the, the, for some reason, the Jewish people need to realize they have no food. For some people, the Jewish people then need to experience they have no water, which is different from water that's bitter. And then they have to fight a war, and all of this is what for what? What is this parsha about? Parshat Bo, they get out of Egypt. Next week is Parshat Yitro, they get the Torah. This is in between those two events. So I'm going to assume that what happens in this parsha is about getting the Jewish people ready to receive the Torah. So how does that work? Why did these events help them to receive the Torah? Now let's think about this. What do the Jewish people need to do? The Jewish people, for whatever the reason, went to Egypt. They learned something in Egypt. Let's super oversimplify and say that when they were in Egypt, they learned to be, what would you say? What's the most important character trait Jewish people developed that we talk about all the time in the Torah? Adayom They became empathetic. You were strangers in a land. You were slaves. <coughs> be sensitive to the widow. Be sensitive to the orphan. Be ethical. Something happened to us there. Okay. We get out of Egypt. What do we need to do now? We got we to gotta undo the mess, what Egypt did to us. Okay? So there are really four things that we need to do. First thing is we need to be freed from slaves. The Jewish people cannot be enslaved in Egypt and be the Jewish people. They're not going to be a, a, a light into the nations, a role model, whatever it is our mission is, if we're enslaved in Egypt. So they got to get out of Egypt. Okay? They got to be, they got to, they got to get away from being slaves. Then they have to accept Hashem. Right? In the world, when someone gets free, it's a big party. I'm free. Free at last, free at last, I'm free at last. Judaism says, freedom is just a, a means. Freedom for what? What are you free for? That's why the night of Pesach, which we celebrate, if you ask the average sort of not educated fellow, Jew, non-Jew, and you ask them, you know, what do we celebrate on the night of Passover? They'll say, oh, we celebrate Jewish freedom, the Exodus, right? How do we celebrate Jewish freedom? We celebrate it in the most structured night of the year. I mean, you got to sit and have four cups and you got to lean and you got to make sure you wear this and you got to do that. It's not, how, it's not how the nations of the world celebrate freedom, right? Okay, so freedom is about, is a means. Freedom for what? So the first thing we have to do is get away from being slaves. Then we have to accept Hashem in our lives. We have to trust Hashem, okay? Once we trust Hashem, we accept Hashem, then we got to get Hashem's recipe. Because just because we know God exists and we're not free anymore and we're not slaves anymore, what are we supposed to be doing? Hashem has to tell us what we're doing here. So that's receiving Torah. And what's the fourth stage? This is the one that makes the people in Brooklyn uncomfortable. We gotta get to Israel. We gotta build a model society, okay? We have to establish ourselves as a nation, not just a family, okay? So if that's true, and believe me, this could be a two hour year, I'm gonna make it 15 minutes, okay? There are five events that occur in this week's Parsha. And I'm just opening on this door for you to think about this Hopefully over Shabbat, take a look at the Chumash. See if I'm right, okay? What's the first? By the way, it's an interesting question. Why don't the Jewish people go straight to Israel? They should have gone straight to Israel. In fact, if you look in, where is it, Parshat Bo? Parshat Ve'era, right? Hashem says, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. I'm going to save you from your labor. I'm going to redeem you. You're going to be for me a nation. Everything we just talked about. 
Right? These are also, by the way, indicative of the four Lishanot Gula, maybe five. Four cups of wine, maybe five. Right? So the last stage is Vevet Yadchem. Why does Hashem take us straight to Israel? Why are we wandering around the desert? So the truth is, Rabbi Nachum Liptak has a magnificent shear on this topic, and he's not the only one. There are a lot of different discussions about this. It's because Bnei Yisrael weren't ready to hear whatever it was Hashem was telling them. End of Parshat Vayera. They can't hear what Moshe wants to tell them. Why can't they hear what Moshe wants to tell them? Pardon? Why are they not ready? Because they're slaves. Because they're slaves. Okay? In, in, in 1942... Mordechai Nalevitz writes in his diary, he shares his frustration. He was desperately trying to unite different parties in the ghetto. He was definitely trying to get the rabbis on board. The whole Jewish world should revolt. Nobody would listen to him. Okay? Jabotinsky's followers, same thing. Nobody would listen to them. There was a significant group of Jews in the Warsaw ghetto who wanted to revolt as early as 1941. Now, if the Jews would have revolted in 1941, when there were... 400,000 Jews in the ghetto, it would have been a very different story. Tens of thousands of them would have escaped. They might even have revolted before they finished building the wall. People couldn't handle it. Why couldn't they handle it? Because they, they, had, a, they had a galut mentality. They weren't able to hear it. Painful. So what's the first stage? <clears throat> the first stage is they have to get out of Egypt. But getting out of Egypt physically doesn't yet mean you've gotten out of Egypt. When do they really get out of Egypt? They get out of Egypt when the Egyptian army is destroyed. That's why the Psukim say that the Jewish people have to see the destruction of the Egyptians. Right? Vayiru b'nei Israel. They literally see... Sorry. Right? Vayar Yisrael Mitzrayim metal svatayam. They have to see the Egyptian army destroyed. Now there's a problem here. What's the problem with what the Jewish people see at the splitting of the sea? It's not just about the Jewish people being free. It's about the Jewish people learning how the world is supposed to work. Right? What was the Egyptian position? Might makes right. The strong survive. It's not accidental that every dictator in history follows the Egyptian path. That was what Alf Hitler said, right? So if the only way you can beat the Egyptians is by wiping them out, then you've basically demonstrated that the Egyptians were right. It's just that Hashem is more powerful than the Egyptians. So might makes right. That's not what Judaism is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about. So we're not there yet. And even though the Jewish people have seen Egypt destroyed, there's still something missing. That's the first problem. The second problem is that the Jewish people, after being enslaved for 210 years... They need a master, right? Slave needs a master. By the way, African-Americans in America, if you study your American history, had the same issue. It was extremely difficult for many African-Americans after hundreds of years of, of slavery and suffering to suddenly be free. And very often, they simply sharecropped themselves to other masters. And I think the African-American community is still struggling with this reality. It's not their fault. That's a whole other discussion. So the Jewish people have to let go of that. So how do the Jewish people let go of that? So there are three stages through which the Jewish people let go of that. The first is what happens at Mara. Mara, right? The Jewish people want to drink water, but the water is bitter. Now it's very interesting. 
right? The water is bitter. Let's see if I can find this. Uh, apologize. Um, one second. Yes. Right? What does the Pasuk say? Perak Tetva Pasuk Hashem. So Moshe calls out to Hashem because the Jewish people need sweet water. Vayorehu Hashem eats. So Hashem says, take this piece of wood, this piece of tree, and throw it in the water. Now listen to this. Yonasim ben Uziel. Yonasim ben Uziel was a Tana. He's one of the oldest commentaries we have in the Torah. Listen to what Yonasim ben Uziel says. He's in the Mikros Yadolos, right? Right? Ilan Marir. What is Ilan Marir? What's an Ilan? Tree. What's Marir? A bitter tree. In fact... The parish Yonatan, which is the parish of the, of of, of Yonatan Benaziel, v'zamin l'shoshanim marim biyoter. He brings Moshe. Right. One opinion is that these are roses. That's a whole interesting discussion. What exactly it is? They were extremely bitter. Now that's interesting. If you're going to take bitter water, and you're going to make it sweet, shouldn't you take a piece of wood that's sweet? Why are you taking a piece of wood that's bitter? Right. If the bitter becomes sweet and the sweet is really bitter, what does that tell you? What does that tell you? What does that remind you of? Right? We think that what's bitter is sweet and what's sweet is bitter. What do the Jewish people learn here? Who is the source of what is bitter and what is sweet? Kosh The Jewish people in this moment have to discover that whether you have water and whether the water is bitter or sweet is only about if it comes from Hashem. If they just find water, it's not coming from Hashem. So Hashem says, I'm going to show you that the water in your life is sweet because I make it sweet. And to make this lesson even more powerful, I'm going to show you now something else. You have no food. You have no food. What is the only way you're going to get food? It's if it comes from the heavens. It comes from Akash Baruch. Now this is a challenge we still have today, right? You're going to go back to wherever you go back and you're going to work hard and you're going to get a college degree. And the reason you're going to get a college degree is because how can you get a job without a college degree? And maybe you're going to discover, you know what, college degree isn't good enough. You've got to get a master's degree. You need a master's degree. And why are you getting the master's degree after you get the college degree? Because you've got to get the job. And then you're going to work really hard because you've got to get that job. And once you get that job, you're going to get paid money. If you're lucky, you're going to get a good job and you'll make good money. Why are you being paid, mon- being paid good money? Because you're doing a good job. And that's what we start to think. But that is the world of illusion. That is the perception that what's bitter is sweet and what's bitter is bitter. Why do you get a good job? Because Hashem gives you a good job. Why is the job good? Because Hashem gave it to you. In fact, if Hashem gave it to you, it has to be good because it comes from Hashem. What's sweet is bitter and bitter is sweet. It's all, it's all sweet. It all comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hinani mamtir lachem lechem min ha-shamayim. Leman anasenu ha-elech the Pasuk says, let's see if the Jewish people follow this. Why is that any Yisayon? To realize, you know, when, when the, there are two types of bread in this world. There's Lechem in Haaretz and Lechem in Hashemayim. We're almost done. Right? Lechem in Haaretz is the stuff we work for. Lechem in Hashemayim is what gets... It's all Lechem in Hashemayim. Before we get into Israel, before we fight a battle, before we do, you have to know, before you're ready to receive Torah from me, you have to know that everything in life comes from Hashem. It's all sweet. All of it. Now the Jewish people come to Rifidim. Now here it gets interesting. And again, there's no water. And how do you get water? 
how do you get water? So this is fascinating. In order to get water, Moshe Rabbeinu has to do what? Just find it. And that's what everybody will say. But they forget something else. Now the Jewish people are in Rufidim. This is Perak Yud Zayin Pasuk Vav. Why is he hitting a rock in Chorev? What is Chorev, by the way? Anybody know? Chorev is Harsina. What? Where did we originally encounter Chorev? The burning bush is Chorev. Moshe Rabbeinu first encounters Hashem at the exact place that he's going to bring that encounter to the Jewish people. <clears throat> Why is Moshe Rabbeinu hitting a rock in Chorev? The water has to come from Chorev. Why does the water come from Chorev? Because just like the food, all the water in your life comes from Hashem. Hashem is the source of our water and Hashem is the source of our food. But it's not just, <coughs> excuse me, that Hashem is the source. Because what does Chorev represent? Chorev represents Torah. It's not just that Hashem is the source of our water. This book, this tradition, Torah, is where we find. This is the source of everything in life. And we finish off with the story of Amalek. And what happens at Amalek? And believe me, we could talk about this for two hours. I'm only giving it to you in two minutes. Right? I'm going to leave you to do the research. Right? So what happens in, in Chorev? Um... So the Jewish people are fighting Amalek. Amalek comes from the rear. Amalek is all those instances where you think you know where you're going and something comes along and messes it up. And you don't understand what Hashem wants of you. You're on your way, you're running to give a shear, and your car breaks down. And you think, why did the car break down when I want to go give it? <coughs> well, Hashem may want you to give it here, but he doesn't want you to give it right now. How do I know that? Because the car broke down. Hashem sent the car. Hashem sent the road. Where does Moshe go? Where does Moshe go? He goes up on the Giva. Listen to this Ibn Ezra. <coughs> go and fight, Ibn Ezra. You listen to this, says Moshe? Anochi eyen nitzav al rosh ha-giva. Shehu chorev. Shehu ha-sinai. That's Ibn Ezra. Not only, not only does our sustenance come from Hashem, does our water come from Hashem, not only does Hashem decide that if it's bitter, it's sweet, and if it's sweet, it's bitter. If we want to see life as sweet, we just have to take all the bitterness that we think is bitterness and recognize that it all comes from Hashem and it'll be sweet. And even fighting Amalek, which is the Yetzirah, that battle, that all comes from Chorev. That all comes from Sinai. True, the true way that we become victorious against Amalek, against the things that bring us down, against the doubts in our life, is when we recognize it all comes from Kosh Baruch. Once we get that, once we're out of slavery, once we're freed from Egypt, once we see that Egypt is done, once we recognize that Hashem decides what's sweet is bitter and what's bitter is sweet, it's all sweet. Once we know that everything in this world comes from Akash Baruch Hu, then we're ready for the recipe. Then we're ready to receive Torah. You don't learn that Hashem runs the world in the Torah. You understand that Hashem runs the world so that you're ready for Torah. That's what Parshat Peshalach is. 
So that's the short version. Now you, over Shabbat, take a look at this parsha and you'll expand on it. You'll see a lot of details that support this idea. And just to go back to our original story, this is an opinion, and we will never know. But I think if a person who is spiraling down 1,100 meters from the ground, seven or eight seconds away from hitting the dirt, and has like a moment to make a decision like that, he's not only got to be capable of being in a moment, he's got to recognize that Hashem put him in this moment. Do you remember at the beginning of the year, I told you a story about Manuel Moreno. Do you remember this? Manuel Moreno was the commander of Sayyid Matkal. And he asks his, uh, his, his uh, sorry, he was the deputy commander. He was the commander of this mission. In 2006 in Lebanon, they were going to binge bell on intelligence that they thought that they were holding our MIAs. And they were doing tapaot, derech pulayv shari, different possibilities, what could go wrong. They ran, they finished. They still had a minute left. So he looks at his, uh, his deputy and he says, you're in the helicopter and you get hit by an anti-aircraft missile. Helicopter's hurling down to the ground. You're going to die. What do you do? And the guy looks at me and says, what kind of question is that? I don't, I don't know. I guess I'd be sad. Close my mind. What would you do? Remember what Emmanuel Moreno said? Hmm? He said, I'd say the Shema. So his deputy doesn't have a keep on his head. Looks at him and says, wait a second. So I understand if I would say the Shema because I'm not religious. Maybe I made a mistake. I said, but you, what do you need to say the Shema for? You said you're going to die. Shema's not going to save you now. Manuel Moreno looks at his deputy and says, <coughs> if you're given five more seconds on this earth and you think those five more seconds are a waste of time, that calls into question your entire existence. But if you know that if you have five seconds left on this earth, that means there's something left for you to do, there's a reason you're still here, then your whole life is meaningful. Right? If you can fill the given minute with 60 seconds of long distance run, yours is the earth and everything in it, and you'll be a man, my son. Joseph Goodman had seven seconds left on this earth. And he filled it with the greatest mitzvah that a person can do. He saved another human being's life. Because he knew, <coughs> I think, that it all comes from Akash Baruch. Everything Hashem gives us is a gift from Hashem. That's the Pasuk. Now you guys go learn the Rashi and the Tosos and figure out how to apply that to your life. A little bit of food for thought. And Parashat B'Shalach.